Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising is One podcast. Before we begin this week's episode, we just want to give a few shout-outs to our sponsors, Firebird Rising, The Beautiful Game Network, and Oro Brewing Company. Oro Brewing Company is located in Mesa, and feel free to use the code word RISING after any Phoenix Rising victory or during the off-season and get happy hour pricing for your drinks. Firebird Rising is available at firebirdrising.coreair, K-O-R-R-A-I-R, .com, BGN FM for the Beautiful Game Network website. And then if you want to give us any feedback or ratings, please go to iTunes or Stitcher and do that. Any ratings or feedback would be greatly appreciated. And now, let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here, along with Jeff Went. And Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's uh, good to be back, good to be talking soccer again, and uh, obviously we got a lot of topics to, to breach this week. We absolutely do, and part of the reason for that is that we won't be on again for three weeks. Usually we're trying to do every other week, but with me having law school exams and Jeff having a lot on his plate as far as his family's concerned, we are going to hold off until the second week of December. We'll try to make that a really good episode worth listening to, Ideally, we can talk to at least someone from either FC Cincinnati or Sacramento Republic and get their thoughts on the MLS expansion news right before the decision is announced, most likely around December 20th. So we're getting pretty close to that decision. We'd love to have one of them on. That's what we'll try to do in the next few weeks. In the meantime, we do have a lot to cover this week. Uh, The nice thing about only doing every other week is that a lot of news builds up, so you know, the Drogba news, USL expansion news, some questions from you guys as supporters. Is NASL going to even exist after the San Francisco Delta's just folded? And then we'll dive into some USL stuff too. So a lot to cover. Uh, Jeff, do you want to get us started with the Drogba news? Yeah, let's let's kind of talk about the Drogba. Uh, I, I guess if you want to call it news, you can. I mean, to, to most of us who are Phoenix Rising fans, we kind of already knew this story was going to happen and how it's playing out. Uh, obviously, reports came out this past week that uh, Didier Drogba was going to uh, step away from playing after the 2018 season. Uh, obviously, as Phoenix Rising fans, we all knew that in advance, um, knowing that he was going to play at most two seasons and then step into the management side of things for Phoenix Rising. I think, and and you can agree to this as well, Dominic. But you know, I I think the mainstream media really overblew this, making it seem like it was a lot more than what it was. If they had first gone back to the original press release and saw that what the plan was was going to be two years all along, you know, I don't think this is as big of a story as what they're making it out to be right now. Yeah, and I mean we kind of figured that Drogba would be playing with us for the remainder of 2017 in one full season. What frustrated me the most about this is that obviously this is a story that was covered by outlets all across America and the world, but many of these headlines were extremely misleading. Many of them saying Drogba to retire at the end of the season. And so then we're getting direct messages and people asking, Oh, is Drogba done? Done? Like he's not playing again? No, and maybe this is just a really stupid thing 
uh, for me to complain about, but you have one job, editorial reviewer, like make sure that the headline is accurate and doesn't mislead people to the point where we're getting asked questions is even going to be back. Drogba made it very clear next season will be the last season, so just give an accurate headline that reflects that because at least half the stories I saw that day were saying Drogba to retire at end of season or Drogba announces retirement and it makes it sound like it's immediate. I don't know. Am I crazy, Jeff? <laughs> I, I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, you know, pe- people should be a lot smarter than this in this day and age. I mean, yeah, we live in a world that, okay, Twitter was 140 characters, now it's 280, like everybody believes, so now everybody can put more out there. Thank God for that. But, you know, everybody loves a quick hit. And if it, you know, if they can take something, twist it just right, and make it sound beautiful, well, yeah, that's going to get everybody talking, gets us talking. But then again, like we've said this whole time, we knew what the process was going to be. So, I, you know, shame on some of these news outlets for going about it the way they did. You know, but, hey, they're trying to... They're trying to stir up news that already was there, so <laughs> you know, I guess I guess kudos to them for stirring it up again, but like like we said, you know, we knew what was coming, we knew what was gonna happen, and we knew how this was all gonna play out. So to us this is like a a, a non story story. <laughs> Definitely, that's a good way to put it, but unfortunately clickbait seems to be the name of the game. So moving on to another thing. Uh, and maybe something that is a little bit more of an actual story. On November 10th, Jeff Carlisle put out a couple articles about the MLS expansion race and kind of highlighting the three teams he, or I guess technically four teams he considers as in the conversation for December's MLS expansion, and then a few others that are still in the conversation for the second round. Interestingly, he did not mention Phoenix as one of the four markets in consideration for this round. He did mention San Antonio and Nashville first as the two prohibitive favorites. He also gave lip service to FC Cincinnati and to Detroit, which kind of seemed interesting. I think you mean Sacramento. I think you mean Sacramento in that first. Oh, uh, my apologies. Sacramento in that first wave of four. Yeah, Sacramento, FC Cincinnati, Nashville, Detroit, obviously in that list of four. Uh, you know, to me, I think it's it's probably more three of the four. I think you're probably talking Sacramento FC, uh, Cincinnati, and and uh, and Nashville. I mean, we've seen how we've seen how things play out in Nashville. We saw them get the get the vote that they needed a couple weeks back to get their financing. You know, their public financing for the stadium. You know. This past week, obviously, uh, FC Cincinnati has ramped things up as far as getting uh, financing in place for a stadium for them. Um, whether that's uh, in some way, shape, or form retransforming Nippert Stadium there, or whether that's building a new stadium, you know, we 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 still don't know what plans there are there for Cincinnati. You know, and obviously, we've known Sacramento this whole time has a place ready to go shovel ready uh you know they'll they'll put them in the ground as soon as they announce the expansion um and then obviously the the wild card being detroit 
you know, in talking, you know, you, you heard in recent weeks talking about uh, Detroit using uh, Ford Field now as, as a site, you know, for the team, you know, instead of, you know, building a soccer specific facility. I'm, you know, I, I, and I know Seattle has their turf and, and, and Portland has their turf and I've never been a real big fan of playing games on on the on the turf surfaces and I know that's part of the reason why we didn't see certain individuals uh play games late in the season for Phoenix Rising because because you know the USL games were played on turf surfaces and and and, and that being said uh you know where where do you think and I'll give you my thoughts in a minute, but where do you think the first two spots are headed, Dominic, as far as, as this round of expansion goes? Uh, I mean, to me, this seems like it's Sacramento and Nashville's uh, two bids to lose. Sacramento, everyone knows that they have been on the cusp for a long time, even nearly getting it over Minnesota United a couple years back. And they're shovel-ready, and they have their spot downtown, Maybe it's not the most glamorous market, but it does give San San Jose Earthquakes a badly needed rival because no matter how badly MLS tries to shove Cali Classico down our throats, it's not really much of a rivalry. Uh, Maybe it is, but I think think a local rivalry would help there. Uh, And then as far as Nashville, they have the deep pockets. They have the plan agreed upon, and apparently it won't take up too much public money. At least that's what people are saying uh it does look like a really nice site that they're going to be building on so as far as nashville's concerned they might be the biggest lock of them all fc cincinnati would be competitive i just they don't have a final stadium rendering yet they don't have a final site even uh they're still looking at three sites one of which would actually be across the ohio river in kentucky and so until they get that resolved, I can't quite put them on the same level as Sacramento and Nashville. And I know that there is the news about Columbus Crew potentially moving to Austin and how that could shift the paradigm of this decision. Maybe that does change things, but we don't have anything official yet. So right now, today, I still think it's going to be Sacramento and Nashville. Well, you brought up the interesting paradigm of the Columbus Crew, and I think... I think there are some maybe backdoor plays here that are going on that will obviously render into this decision as to who gets the first two uh, expansion franchises. And I know probably some Sacramento people are going to hate me when I say and make this comment, but I think Sacramento may be the team on the outside looking in, even though the fact that they are the most ready of the groups, you know, shovel ready to put a, a, you know, a stadium together in no time whatsoever. You know, they've got the, the infrastructure in place to, to field this, you know, to field a team. But I, I, I just have this gut feeling that if Columbus does move to Austin and it, and obviously it opens up that whole Ohio market, you know, I, I just think that that Don Garber is going to look at that and say, okay, 
we've gotten rid of that situation, but here's another situation which we think could be a phenomenal situation for us. I, I mean, I hate to I, I don't get me wrong, I love Don Garber, but I just I think he's looking out for himself and his owners, and if he feels like he's got a, a, a deep pocket situation in Cincinnati that's sitting right in front of his face with 35,000 people a game that want to watch him play, that's money lining in my pockets. And, and I, I think he sees dollar signs, and I think he sees you know a big TV market that he could, he could possess. I mean, I love Sacramento. And I would love to see Sacramento get this get this expansion bid. I really do. I mean, for what they've done all these years, I mean, even going back to the start of their days, you know, when they started playing at Sacramento State and were drawing twenty thousand plus a game, you know, and then yeah, they move into a smaller uh, smaller complex at at you know what is now known as Papa Murphy's Park and the things that they've done there to expand their seating and and to still bring in you know. 95, 96% of the fans most of the time, you know, to their to their games. I mean, they are a phenomenal city and the things that they've done and, and gone about the process, you know, the right way. But I just, this, this Columbus decision just sits in the back of my mind and it just screams to me that, you know, Cincinnati's going to get that spot and the Nashville just snuck in here at the last minute. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of what Nashville did, you know, and how they've gone about it, you know, they're they're going off of what two really big Gold Cup matches they've held in that city. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I just I don't see the whole effort of you know you know, and soccer's not even proven in that area yet. We're supposed to see Nashville FC in 2018 here in the USL, and how do we even know, you know, what that's going to look like? Uh, you know, and and how well it's going to be received by the public there, that just you know scares me in a, in and of itself. So I mean, if I were a betting man right now, I'd say Cincinnati gets one, and I'd say Nashville gets the other, and and Sacramento is going to be left out in the cold. But I, who knows? You know, this this could go any number of ways at this point in time. Wow, um, for my sake and the probably the sake of most fans that are curious about this MLS expansion race I really hope you're wrong because that would be a tough pill to swallow for Sacramento fans who I think really deserve it at this point and it's an ownership group that has done everything they can to and then to be swooped by two others both within hundreds of miles of each other in the east yeah that would be a tough pill to swallow but, yeah, no, I um, I agree. One, it would be a tough, I agree. It would be a tough pill to swallow. But I just, I you know, I just, I would love to see Sacramento get it. They they have definitely deserved it. But I just see something something setting up just right to, to, for it to not happen. Uh, one other interesting note on Cincinnati. It was announced earlier this week that they are going to be fully privately financing their stadium wherever it is built. Uh, that should be a huge sigh of relief for many in the Cincinnati area. A lot of people were concerned about taxpayers having to foot the bill there. Um, but that was announced, and Cincy Soccer Talk uh, covered that. So that's got to be a good development. To see another team like Phoenix Rising that's going to do it the private financing route, 
Uh, what were your thoughts on that? No, it's, you know, I agree. I mean, I, I don't like the fact of going to the public and asking for funds for stadiums. I mean, we, we've seen how it how it affects us here in this town of our of our own. You know, you know, you, all you, all you need to do is go across over to Glendale and see the things that have happened over there. You know, with with the hockey arena over there and with with the spring training facility that the Dodgers and the White Sox share. I mean, the, the city of Glendale is on the hook for a lot of money right now, and and yeah, they're not happy about it. And that's why I think you see a lot more of these, you know, privately financed, you know, opportunities that are available. I love what Phoenix Rising is doing going about the way they're doing it. Granted, we saw the report that came out this past week from Jeff Carlisle, you know, that talked about, you know, where Phoenix's bid sits and and the situation that they're in as far as, as their stadium, you know, situation goes. And it's a great read, and people please. I mean, if if there's one of those types of soccer guys that you that you like to follow on Twitter or on Facebook or anything like that, Jeff Carlisle is definitely one of the one of the great reads out there. Uh, definitely put a great two part series together about uh, you know the expansion race and the favorites and who's still in it and you know the others and where they stand. You know. Go check out his two pieces that he wrote. The great articles. I mean, it really, and and I like what he said about the Phoenix situation and really got into it in a lot of detail, you know, and explaining that it's not just about the stadium itself. It's a, it's all about the land that surrounds the stadium and how they need to have that, the ability to have the rest of that uh, acreage around the stadium so they can complete the process of what they want to do, you know, build the soccer academy put restaurants and hotels on it so that you can have teams stay there, you know, as they need to, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the, the big thing for Phoenix rising right now being that, it, you know, if there was another owner that probably had a little bit deeper pockets, that would probably be a big, you know, help in, in Phoenix's bid. And who knows, maybe that's something in the next couple of months that gets settled. And if that's the case, Maybe that lines them up perfectly for that 2018 bid. You know, maybe it's them in Sacramento in 2018 if, if Sacramento doesn't get the first. So, you know, two in the east, two in the west, maybe that's the way it works out, you know, looking at that situation. Yeah, and if you don't mind me just getting a couple nuggets out about that land situation, so the Phoenix Ownership Group and the Solana Group, Solana Group is representing the tribe. They've already agreed to 75 acres for Phoenix Rising to use, but the thing is, Phoenix Rising for an MLS caliber facility is looking for 500 plus acres because that's what's needed to get an on-site academy, probably a smaller stadium, a development uh, to develop the area surrounding the stadium. You'd want to do a shopping development. I'm sure there would be a Kona Grill there. Well, anyways, they need to get that 500 million or, or 500 acres uh, they need to come to terms on that and that means raising money the necessary money that's needed to reach a deal with Solana Group to get those acres and the figure that we've seen is raising 125 million dollars with the help of Goldman Sachs the ownership group doesn't want to accrue future debt which means they're trying to find someone with big pockets in the area or just someone with big pockets in general that's willing to uh, help raise that money so that they can get that full 500 plus acres needed 
to bolster their bid. And there's still time to do that, but Carlisle just does a good job of saying, look, it's not set in stone yet. You know, so. let me let me throw this out, and I know it's going to be interesting for Phoenix people to understand this, but here's a name that I'm kind of not understanding why he doesn't want to get involved in this, because he is a local guy. We've talked about, we've seen a number of times that Robert Sarver has tried to purchase franchises overseas. You know, he tried to purchase Galatasaray over in, over in Turkey. He, he tried to purchase uh, another franchise over, whether it was in, in England or whether it was in, in, in uh, Scotland, you know, and had no luck there. If he's really that interested in buying into a soccer franchise... Why not stay local and put your money in that? And if that's the deep pocket name that would come up, hell, it'd be interesting. It'd be intriguing. Well, it would certainly repair his PR uh, because he is enemy number one, according to some people in these parts, with the way the Suns have been doing of recent, <laughs> in recent years. Uh, I have a s- several friends that are really frustrated with Robert Sarver's ownership of the Suns. So if he wants to repair his image and, you know, fix himself in as a guy that's going to be part of the local scene and part of the soccer scene, maybe that would be a good way to do it. Um, But I think that's enough of expansion news for now. We're going to be covering that in a lot more detail on our next podcast. So this is a new segment and hopefully a recurring segment we want to do We're calling it the supporters section, and it's basically a segment where supporters ask us some questions, and we discuss them. So we got a few questions on the Twitter just over the last couple days, so we'll go in chronological order. You ready for this, Jeff? Yep, let's fire away. Alright, so the first one was sent by Joseph Lowry at Joe in Cleats. He asks... Who are the Phoenix Rising FC players who have the best shot at MLS? Oh, wow. Well, obviously, let's start at the top. Let's start with Jason Johnson. I mean, obviously, the, the, you know, the year that he had, you know, coming out of the second half, just coming guns a-blazing, uh, you know, finishing with, with just off the club record uh, for goals in a season. You know, I, I think he has, he has definitely proven his worth as, as being MLS-ready. Um, I think another guy that might possibly have a chance, although his age is probably too too much up there to, to give himself another shot, um, I thought Alessandro Rigi definitely played his way into to maybe possibly getting a spot back in an MLS club. Um, you know, I don't think we ever, I don't think we realized his full potential, obviously, because of the, the knee injury he suffered early on. But when he came back, he came back guns blazing, and, and it almost looked like he didn't lose a step. You know, it looked like he even got a little bit better as as time went on. You know, from that injury. But you know, I would say right now, if you had to ask me, MLS, I would say those two definitely for sure. You know, I think somebody who might be on the outside, kind of looking in, maybe somebody like a Josh Cohen. You know, I thought Josh had a had a strong season. You know, I think if you give him another season at at you know playing here and getting some solid quality minutes and 
and seeing what he can do to control a back line. I mean, obviously, he's going to have a whole new back line to, to work with this next year if, if indeed he stays with the club. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, and I kind of like that this is an open-ended question, and because it is an open-ended question, I am going to throw in a few names that might not happen for next year, but maybe down the line, like you were saying with Josh Cohen. Amadou Dia and Kavon Lambert. Kavon Lambert has already received several caps for the Jamaican national team. We saw him at the last Gold Cup in the starting lineup against Canada for their quarterfinal matchup. Uh, So far, he's looked really good for Phoenix Rising. He put in a goal. He's been a nice passer out of the back getting our attack started and a nice physical presence. He's also only 20 years old right now, so the best days are definitely ahead of him. And those young years are so crucial for player development. I think if he gets consistent caps in 2018, he might be a guy that's looking really good for a shot in 2019. Because him and Johnson have that uh, Jamaican connection. I think as long as one of them is here, both of them are here. So I would think that for the 2018 season, Kavan is going to stay with us, get some more development. But I think down the road, if he continues to develop the way that a lot of people are thinking, you have to look at him as a guy that gets an MLS shot down the line. And then for Dia, he was drafted by uh, Sporting KC, I think back in 2014. He got a couple caps for them, but never really cracked their regular lineup. Then he had to play for Swope. Then he bounced around and he ended up with us and played very well for us last year. He's still a guy that's on the younger side too. He's only 24. I think if he can put in another good season, that would really increase his odds of finding another roster spot somewhere for 2019. And then, you know, the obvious name that comes to mind is Sam Hamilton. He was on loan from from Colorado Rapids at the end of this season. So we don't even know. They might take him back for next season. So that's kind of a cheating answer, but uh, Sam Hamilton is definitely a name that could get called back up. So I think that answers that question just about. Um, Let's move to another one. This is Nick at N-P-R-Y-E-A-12. If you were to envision the future of U.S. club soccer and had to pick one league to replicate, which one would it be and why? I.e., I would choose the Bundesliga. Wow. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's, so talk about an open-ended question. Wow, right? wow that, is, that is definitely a way open-ended question. Um, wow. Huh. This 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 one this one's gonna take a minute to think about, but I would. I don't know. I kind of I kind of like how the Spanish. I kind of like how the Spanish is set up right now. I mean, from a player development perspective. From, from a player development perspective, I. I I tend, you know, you tend to hear a lot more about their their development than you do anywhere else, really. I mean, I, I would guess the only other real development you hear is maybe in France. You know, I, I, t- I tend to hear a little bit a little bit of that every now and then. But I think if you're if, you, if you're looking strictly player development, I, I think Spain I think Spain is 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 where it's at right now. I mean, that just seems to be a hotbed. 
over in that I think area. Bundesliga has to be, and the German system in general, has to be in that conversation as kind of a 1A and 1B with the Spanish system because, you know, there have been countless think pieces written about Germany missing 2,000 euros and the investment that they put in their development since then and look at all the talents it's produced. And you really can't deny it. The German B team... Uh, last year kind of took it to everyone at the Confederations Cup so just the amount of talent they have age 25 and under is kind of insane so I, I think you have to put La Liga and Bundesliga from a player development standpoint kind of interchangeable as far as you know which league to replicate I mean I think Bundesliga is the gold standard personally I don't find it to be the most entertaining league but if you're just looking at look how are the players being developed what is the fan atmosphere like? Because the games in Bundesliga are very well attended. Most of the teams are owned by the fans themselves. Uh, you haven't seen the kind of big money influence on stadium atmosphere and club policy that you've seen in the Premier League. Uh, in Bundesliga, the fans really do have a voice still, and so that's kind of nice to see. They also have a lot of standing room only sections, which is a cool thing. You're starting to see that in the U.S. a little bit, but I think Bundesliga is really the place that kind of got that started. And so I, I think that's a good answer from him saying Bundesliga. Uh, I mean, personally, I think Serie A is more entertaining, but I know that Italy doesn't do the best at developing its players. And you have some of the smaller stadiums that are half empty, so I, I understand that. Long answer short, I would probably say Bundesliga, but I think there are elements of other leagues that you can take yeah, as well. I agree. I agree totally there. Um, I mean, a more interesting comparison might be how are things going in Liga MX and with Mexico as compared to here. That might be a more realistic comparison, and even then they have Pro-Rel and seem to in recent years have developed better talent. But I think we need to at least get on that level before we can start aspiring to the European leagues. But another question that was pretty good. This one is from Pat Moses, regular les listener, good friend of the pod. He is at GoalieManPat on Twitter. What is the biggest weakness on the team you would like to see addressed in the offseason? My opinion is service into the box. Too many poor crosses and corners. Um, for me, it kind of comes in the middle of the park. Uh, you know, I think at times we didn't see, uh, that good passing in the middle of the park at times that led to solid chances on the other end. And I think, you know, you start there because we had a solid back line, I felt, this year. And I, and I felt once we kind of got into the season, it was a little struggle at the start, but I thought the holding midfield started really playing to its potential. You know, once we got through about eight or nine games in the season, we finally started seeing, you know, what they could do as a group and obviously adding some key pieces there later on in the season made it look even better. But I think where we kind of struggled last year, I think, is just – connecting passes in the middle of the park we were connecting passes on the outside which is all great and everything but it doesn't do you any good if you can't connect in the middle of the park and once you get that connections going in the middle of the park then it opens up everything whether that's spraying a ball to the outside whether that's 
you know, you know, some one-two combinations. We saw a few of those later in the season, where some good one-two play obviously resulted in some good some good goals. But it wasn't consistent, and I think that's where next year kind of needs to start. Is let's focus on on that middle of the park, trying to to gain control there. And if we can gain control there, I think then that opens up the rest of everything. I mean, it opens up that left wing, opens up the right wing for for more plays. Yeah, we didn't have the best services, but I I don't necessarily think we had the greatest players on the outside for those services at times either. And I think maybe that's something that that this club looks towards in 2018 is finding those types of players that can provide that good service to get it into the box. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, I really didn't see that as a humongous weakness, uh, services into the box. It certainly was in the first couple months, uh, RAP Omar Bravo. But, you know, once we got Amadou Dia in the starting lineup, once we saw Didier Drogba taking some of those longer free kicks... I think that at least got to like an average to slightly above average level for USL. So yeah, could it be improved? Of course, but I really didn't think that was horrible. Uh, Victor Vasquez even put some good balls in towards the end of the year. Um, For me, it's possession. Even in games we won this year, we were consistently only possessing the ball at a 40 to 41% clip. And that's just not good enough. Um, you're going to have a whole offseason to work on that. I understand that our style is to attack teams pretty directly to be able to withstand a lot of pressure, but you want to at least get yourself up to that 50% number. I'm not asking for 2008 Barcelona out there, but can we at least possess the ball 50% of the time, give our defense a little bit more of a breather, because you saw some crucial games where we dropped points at the end at Orange County, at RGV, um, even Sacramento late in the year when we gave up two second half goals. We were under siege for large stretches of that game and it's just impossible to withstand that kind of pressure for an entire 90 minutes. Eventually, the defense is going to get tired, we're going to crack. And if we can just possess the ball a little bit better, give the defense a breather, create some more openings through the middle like you were saying, I think that makes a huge difference. And I think that's also something that can very much be worked on during this offseason. The elephant in the room with both of our answers too is, look, Luke Rooney has been out since mid-April. How differently does this season go if he plays a full year? We don't know. But we do know he was a crucial man in the central midfield. Whether he was passing the ball out to the wings to get attacks started, whether he was holding the ball at times, or moving the ball up the middle himself, his loss was a really tough one to swallow, and I think him being back, if he is with us next year, I think that would go a long ways towards improving both the midfield distribution and getting our possession to more respectable levels. I agree with you Good there. question, though, from Pat. Yeah, definitely a great question. And let's see, the last one, uh, kind of a self-serving one, but is a thought I had earlier this week. Can the USL playoffs operate with two-legged ties? It wouldn't take much longer, more ticket money for clubs, rewards deeper squads, and more fair. Um, if you go to the Twitter, I kind of drew on a, on a board, on a whiteboard, what the hypothetical situation for a two-legged structure would be. 
So the conference quarterfinals, instead of having one match on October 21st, you could have, you know, split it into October 20th and 21st, and then the second legs would be October 24th, 25th. Then take a week between ties, have the conference semifinals instead of October 28th, play on 30, October 31st and November 4th, or November 1st and 5th, either way. The conference finals, instead of being on November 4th, could be November 11th and 15th, with the final match, instead of being on Monday, November 13th, could be on Wednesday, November 22nd. The playoffs would only go nine days longer. You could still have the same length USL regular season. You would give players four, four days between ties, so three rest days between each match. Um, I mean, to me, this seems like a no-brainer because... Instead of only having eight fan bases around the league get a guaranteed home playoff match, now you're getting 16 fan bases a home playoff match. So first off, that's just more revenue for more clubs. Second, that's more games for more clubs. And these are all going to be sellouts or close to because it is the playoffs. Um, and then third, if you want to truly develop talent and make the USL a very exciting product, Teams are going to now have more emphasis to develop a deeper roster because it's going to be very tough to use the same starting 11 seven times over the course of a month. Um, and so that's going to encourage teams to find, you know, 15 to 17 guys that can play at a starting level and then shuffle some people out if needed. And it also puts a greater emphasis on, on managerial tactics, strategy, and I think it creates more fairness too. You you don't see like a number one seed Real Monarchs lose on penalties. Um, that makes it like the second or third year in a row now where a number one seed has gone down in penalties. Um, from the Phoenix Rising perspective, all the adversity we had to go through in that one away game, even though we finish on the same number of points as, as Swope, and then we see them up in the USL finals. Uh, when you feel like us getting a home match in that tie would have made all the difference. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? It, it seems good on paper, but I know that there are going to be concerns about player safety and having enough time between matches and travel costs. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You know, it's, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of a, of a one and done playoff situation. You know, I, I agree with you in the fact that, that both teams deserve a chance to host a game. And, you know, most playoffs nowadays have home and away ties. And, it, you know, even even in, in a league such as the CONCACAF Champions League, I mean, going to quarterfinals, semifinals, and even in the finals, the finals is a two-legged final. So, I mean, you know, it's doable. And like you said, you know, the league, you know, obviously the league has to look at not only travel costs, you got to look at, you know, you know, broadcasting costs and all that kind of stuff, and see if that you know, see if if that's a doable situation there. But do I do I think it can be done? Sure, I do. Sure, I mean, anything is possible if they put their minds to it. I mean, you know, obviously with the way things are shaping up down the road here in the next couple of years, and you know, with with the league, and we'll get into that, you know, later on in this podcast, you know. You know, if we're going to 
go back to a more regionalized system like we're talking about maybe in the next couple of years you know there there's got to be ways to make it work a little bit better you know and obviously if you're going more regionalized and you're going to have the three divisions that are rumored to happen whether that's 2018 or 2019 you know you've got to find some way to make it fair that that if you're a team in the west that's got to play a team in the central division for a playoff spot or whatever the case may be you've got to make it fair to both teams you can't just make it a one leg go over there or them come come here and and play one game you know that makes no sense whatsoever so i think you know i think they need to look at the concept of a two-legged playoff i don't i don't think it can hurt you know right and you see you see mls who we've been critical of at times they do that champions league over in europe does that um you know the the serious club competitions around the world copa libertadores in south america does that uh the serious club competitions around the world tend to do that two-legged structure and i think it allows for some great stories that just would not happen in the existing structure the one that pops instantly to my head is look at what columbus crew just did against nycfc if they only get one match away to new york they're probably out of the playoffs those fans who have had their team for such a long time don't get a chance to support them well instead they get that home leg and they absolutely smash new york city fc that leg and now they're in the eastern conference finals so i just think it makes it more fun and also puts more emphasis on tactics and i know you have to do a cost-benefit analysis here i think the pros outweigh the cons and i think maybe not in 2018 but somewhere down the road usl will realize that and find a way to do it in a way that benefits all parties i hope so because as a fan that would just be more entertaining um anything to add there nope i think you've you've hit it pretty much right on the head there yeah so uh anyone who's a regular listener listener of this show be sure to hit us with questions before every episode. This is going to be a recurring segment. And I think we got some good questions this week. So we'll just keep doing that and hopefully we get more good questions in the future. Our next segment, though, is going to be what is the future of NASL? Because for those that haven't been following too closely, which is very understandable, we are a USL team and it's a USL-focused podcast, but... Um, the NASL lost its bid for a preliminary injunction to keep it in D2 a couple weeks ago. They're appealing. They've obtained the same attorney that was used by Ezekiel Elliott and Tom Brady in their appeals uh, to get their suspensions overturned. The guy's name is Jeffrey Kessler. As you all know, neither of those bids were ultimately successful. And one interesting note here. Uh, Judge Brody, on these uh, preliminary decisions, 19 of the 23 she has made in the past that have gone to an appellate court have been affirmed. Only four have been reversed. So it kind of goes to show that the NESL will be facing an uphill battle in its appeal. But they will be appealing, and they will hope that a three-judge panel uh, is sympathetic to their arguments. So will it happen? Who knows? 
But that's kind of an interesting note. And in light of that decision made by Judge Brody about the NASL not getting that injunction to stay D2, North Carolina FC announced this Wednesday that it will be joining USL. And the San Francisco Deltas, who just beat the New York Cosmos to win the NASL title, they announced that they will be folding effective immediately. So, pretty decent run, right? One season, one one title, and then RIP. But... Where does that put the NASL? They only have six clubs set to go for next season. And there have been talks about a club in Orange County. There have been talks about a club in San Diego. But the league is really in flux now. And you've already seen North Carolina jump ship and join USL. You could see a Jacksonville Armada do the same. You could see an Indy 11 do the same. So the real question is, what is the future of the NASL? Well, you know... I guess we tie, you know, we tie this into, you know, what is, you know, you, you can not only look at the what's the future of the NASL, but you could also look at what's the future of the USL as you look at this as well. I mean, you know, obviously North Carolina FC decides to jump ship and decides to join join USL right away. Um, you know, will we see the same with the others? I I I think a decision has to be made fairly quickly here by clubs that are sitting on this outside looking in because they don't want to be stuck without a league, A, first of all, and B, you know, not knowing what they're going to do for 2018, especially especially for a club, let's say, for for example, like Indy 11, who averages almost 9,000 fans a game. I mean, what do you tell a fan base of a league that's not existent but yet you still want to play somewhere. I mean, are you going to drop down and play in a third division league? Are you going to are you going to try to join what was the only other division two uh, league in, in in U.S. soccer period, and that would that would be the USL? I mean, there are a lot of questions surrounding this situation, and honestly, I don't think there are a lot of answers right now. And and you know, schedules have got to come out soon. You're, you've got to figure schedules have got to be out before the first of the year, at least, to, to really sl- start solidifying things. I mean, you know, Phoenix Rising wants to to get matches set up as far as their preseason schedule goes. They want to know if they can, A, schedule teams, you know, play like an Indy 11. Remember a couple years ago, Phoenix Rising slash Arizona United played uh what was then Minnesota United, you know, which bumped up to MLS. So, I mean, you know, trying to figure out those types of things are, are, are obviously in the slate as well. This is a, this is a real crapshoot right now with what's going on. And I mean, uh, a thing you and I talked about off, off, you know, before we started this podcast was the other thing that may affect this decision ultimately is is the election of a new president for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Obviously, Sunil Gulati is not uh, is not looking for re-election, and you've got people out there that are definitely interested in in being a part, you know, of of the new regime of U.S. Soccer. What are their feelings about whether there should be two teams at the Division Two level, you know? Is is pro rel, you know, a thought on their minds, you know, I this could go like I said in any number of directions whatsoever. 
it really can and you know if it turns out that the NASL is not going to exist in 2018 you know what are clubs like Indy 11 New York Cosmos Miami FC Jacksonville Armada gonna do I mean those all those clubs I just listed are averaging either 5,000 fans or just below 5,000 above 4,500 uh, you can even throw Puerto Rico FC in that mix. Are they going to drop down to third division and merge with some NISA teams and do their own league down there? Or in the case of Miami FC and New York Cosmos, are they going to suck it up, join USL, and keep the franchise afloat? It's not a question with an easy answer, and especially for New York and Miami FC, because these have been two franchises that have been very outspoken about being independent from MLS, independent from USL. They want to do their own thing. They're spending their own money trying to have their own vision for soccer in the US. And, you know, it's tough because on one hand, you have to respect that conviction. On the other hand, they joined a league that you know, since a new commissioner came in in 2013, has not taken the steps necessary to make it a true competitor to MLS and now even USL at the second division. So, are you going to allow that conviction to cloud your judgment and prevent you from staying in second division? Whether that means joining USL, um, you know, are are the fans of those franchises going to have to suffer and see their team die? What's going to happen? I mean. It is an open question, but we're going to have to get some answers soon because, like you're saying, schedules need to come out by January. We're going to get the MLS decisions soon. We're going to get U.S. Soccer Federation new president soon. We are going to get that appeals hearing, uh, a decision on that soon. I don't have an exact date for you yet, but that's going to have to happen before Christmas because there are a lot of dominoes that could be falling soon. And... You know, Miami FC and New York Cosmos, I think, are in difficult situations. But Jacksonville Armada and Indy 11 seem like prime candidates to move to USL. They would have regional rivals. You have a expansion team in Atlanta coming in this year. You have Nashville coming in this year for Jacksonville. And then, of course, you have um, Tampa Bay Rowdies down in Florida and, I believe, Orlando City's B team. So... Plenty of regional rivals there if Jacksonville Armada was to head over to USL. And then in the 11, you kind of have the same thing. You still have Cincinnati in USL for now. You still have... Um, it, it's a little more of a stretch, but you have a couple teams in Pennsylvania. There are definitely rivals you could have. Oh, and, you, um, and you have St. Louis still sitting there as well. Yeah. 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 Whereas, so, I mean... I mean but- so yeah, I mean it, it's definitely interesting. I mean, the the whole dichotomy of of how you know this is all going to play out is, is obviously something that everybody is paying attention to right now. Whether you're a USL fan, whether you're an NASL fan, whether you're just a fan of US soccer in general, I mean this you know this is is definitely something huge that is going to probably affect years and years down the line I mean you know I nobody ever thought that you would have two two division two uh, 
leagues, you know, within U.S. soccer. And obviously now it's come to a head, you know, and now a decision has to be made as to whether that's going to continue or not. And obviously it, it affects, like you said, it affects the future of some other franchises that were planning on coming in. <clears throat> you had Orange County and San Diego that were set to come in in 2018. They don't even know what they're going to do now at this point. Do they even jump ship and go to USL as well? You know, there are definitely, like we've said, a lot, a lot of things on the table that could happen eventually. Right. And that's not even mentioning Edmonton, who is now the only team west of the Mississippi with Deltas folding, at least for the time being. Do they join the Canadian Premier League? Do they go down a division for a year? How does that work out? Um, a lot of open questions. And going back to the NASL's claim that there's a uh, conspiracy between MLS and USL to create you know, anti-competitive measures, make sure there's only one real uh, Division Two league. I mean, they have to prove that there's corruption, and it seems like NASL has had a lot of chances to create a good product on its own, and unfortunately they've just not been able to do that. And it puts those fans in limbo, it puts those teams in limbo. For a time, they had a really good commissioner in the early 2010s, um, but they have not been able to build off of that. So, yeah, and then you kind of have to look at if this goes as we're assuming it does, that the appellate court upholds the Judge Brody decision and NASL in that case most likely folds, what happens for the USL? Because now we're going to have 34 teams at least for the 2018 season with two more expansion clubs in Austin and um and Birmingham set for 2019 where where do you go as the USL do you go to the three conference alignment like we've had rumored for so long is that something more for 2019 and then what kind of impact does this have on USL D3 which is also starting in 2019 yeah it, it, obviously the D3 is the interesting where you know where does everything lie there you know obviously they they uh you know made that tour of the southeast uh a while back and and you know as we talked earlier off air you know there was a, a you know uh, a, a a viewing of, of different cities up in the northeast now uh you know teams up in rhode island and in maine and in the new england area obviously you know that happened in the last couple of weeks you know obviously you're probably thinking they're going to make a tour of the Southwest sometime soon and, and see where things lie there, you know, in Albuquerque and El Paso, Tucson, you know, could, could you see D three teams down there, you know, and, and, and of course, obviously the big question is where do the MLS two teams fit in all this, you know, as well, do they, you know, does, does USL tell them they need to be sitting in D three because of their talent level and because of what they bring to the table, you know, and now does this bring in the, the possibility slash discussion of if you're, if, if you're setting up these stadiums as, as you're requesting for D three to have at least a minimum of 5,000 seats and owners having uh, X amount of dollars, uh, uh, in capital available to them, does this open the possibility of promotion relegation within USL? 
you know, does that happen, you know, one day down the line? And, and how does how does a new U.S. soccer president view that concept? I mean, those are all questions that, that would be interesting to hear, you know, from a league perspective and, and where, what their thoughts are about all this. Definitely. And, you know, the elephant in the room here, too, is where does this leave us as far as a potential promotion relegation within USL is concerned? We're going to be at 34 teams next year. We could be as, as high as 36 or even more for 2019. And I feel like once you get to 40, you almost have to start thinking about promotion relegation. Um, if not at the MLS level, at least at a lower level where it's all under the USL umbrella. I mean, is this a structure that's independent of the MLS 2s and the new d3 teams perhaps these are all conversations that are going to have to happen internally before any announcements are made but it's getting to a point where some serious decisions have to be made soon uh, because i don't know how viable a 40 team second division is you know just as one league and at that point you're almost you're almost screaming for ProRail, and you know no one has the answers to these questions yet. But it's it is to the point with decision day coming so soon, a month from now, you have to start raising these questions. And these are kind of questions that were always on the back burner during the season, but now that NASL truly looks like it's crumbling, as epitomized by its champion team folding days after winning in front of a sellout crowd. These are serious questions that have to be taken seriously. I totally agree with you. And, you know, whether it's in the next couple of months we hear something about that, whether it's six months down the line, you know, I, I don't think you can shy away from the questions anymore. I think it's just, like you said, this league is starting to get to a point where it's where it's almost outgrowing itself. And you've got to find a way to keep uh, the talent level you know, as consistent as you possibly can. You don't want it to be watered down too much, but yet by the same, you know, premise, you know, if you're going to be a strong, solid division to league that helps promote players up to the next level, your only option is a, you've got to grow the MLS, which they are now growing it to 28 teams. But, you know, even there, you may even have to grow it further to 30 or 32 if you're trying to keep enough talent, you know, available for a lower league such as the USL. And even if you're going to field, you know, two teams in all these markets that that have, uh, you know, MLS clubs, you know, you, you've got to have enough talent to fill those pools. And, and obviously... The, the more you stretch this out, the worse it's going to get. And you're just not going to see the same level of soccer that you're really expecting to see when you have a league such as what you do. Right. Uh, you know, this is totally hypothetical here because neither of us is the commissioner of USL. Neither of us is um, Edwards. But put your commissioner's head on for a second here. What would your ideal 
let me rephrase this. In a perfect world, what would the U.S. soccer pyramid look like? Wow. <laughs> if you need a couple moments, I, I'm willing to go first. Um, what, does it, what, does, what does it look like? I don't think you can be more than 30 teams at the top. I, I, I just... I, you start going beyond 30 teams at the top, and I think it's just... The, the product isn't the same. You know, if you're going to have 40 teams sitting in in USL, let's say, and you're going to have another 20 to 25, whether that's sitting in USL D3, whether that's in NISA, whether that's in whatever form of the NASL shows up, what, whatever the case may be, I think at that point you're gonna have to start looking at promotion relegation, and and as much as I would think the the MLS owners would hate that concept, I don't think there's any other way you could do it at that point. I mean, you're just looking at yeah, you got talent upon talent upon talent, but at the same time, you're not if you don't have enough teams in the first level, you're not giving these people that are playing in Division Two, the opportunities that they need to be able to play at the Division One level, I mean, it, it just to me seems like that's the way that this is heading. Granted, we're 20, 30 years behind the ball because we started MLS so late, you know. But look at every other league around the world; they all have promotion relegation. And it, it, it just, I think it's inevitable. It's got to happen here. But whether you can get the MLS owners on board with that concept, I don't know if you can or not. Yeah, and I guess it's maybe time to give my two cents. I don't know if promotion relegation involving the MLS will ever happen as long as Don Garber is commissioner. Um it just seems like too much of his legacy is tied with ensuring that every owner that's already in has a very good deal and he's doing a really good job to vet to make sure that any new team that comes in is going to be doing things the way he wants and you know it's kind of there's very much a you're either part of the club or you're not part of the club mentality and that's not really something that's conducive to ProRail. What could happen down the line is I want to see promotion relegation start within USL because there are a lot of questions. Is it even viable in the US? The owners are going to want to see ProRel work somehow before they agree to it at the MLS level. And so what I think has to happen first is maybe in 2019 you do a D3 with maybe 12 to 14 independent markets and you know all the MLS two teams then you have a, a true second division of probably 25 teams 25 independent USL clubs because that seems to be happening at a very quick rate and then maybe you see a Miami FC or a New York Cosmos either join USL and move with us 
or you know maybe they go defunct this year and then a new owner comes in you know, brings the brand back and they end up joining USL and then at some point you can put the MLS two teams in their own division once every MLS team has a two team and then you can get it so that there are 40 to 50 independent markets and then you can do a pro rail between second division and third division USL but I think that's where it would need to start is a all independent clubs second division of and third division of USL and then you have to evaluate that over several years this is this is my perfect rule by the way this is one percent chance maybe that this happens but okay you have these 40 independent teams that are not MLS development clubs that are not MLS we're just in our own structure here and we do that for five years <clears throat> excuse me and then maybe they see at the MLS level look they're doing pro rel even when teams are dropping down to the third division they're still getting revenue they're still turning profits they're still on TV somewhat regularly in their local markets it is possible to still be profitable at that lower level and then in the 2030s they come around to it probably with a new commissioner and say look we're open to this but if they don't do that I'm fine with that too I think you just have to get it started somewhere and we're not there yet but I think once the NASL stuff gets sorted out once we find a way to separate the MLS developmental clubs from this whole USL structure because let's face it everywhere else in the world or not everywhere else but most other places in the world those second division clubs have their own like U21 league that's not even affiliated with the lower divisions once that happens then we can really be on the track to pro rel but we aren't there yet so and I you know everyone wants to see it at the MLS level that's not gonna happen I just it can't happen yet because the owners need to see that those teams can still be profitable at the lower level and there's too much on the line for them I don't think they can make that decision yet until second division soccer scores are on the bottom ticker of ESPN Sports Center until those are covered by the local news and until second division teams have their own sports nation blogs and we're just not there yet no i i, I hear you there and i i totally i totally agree with 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 that concept as well and you know i i think we'll see it at some time but like i said i i think you're right in the fact that it needs to start in the lower levels first and see how it works and how it uh, progresses at that point but but yeah i think you, you've got to be careful to a point that you like like I've said you, you don't water down the process too much and I you know that's I think where we where we're at at this point is is we're watering down the division two product because we've got so many teams there granted we've got some decent soccer players that we're seeing you know all across this country but it, it's starting to get to a point to where we're almost not having enough to fill what needs to be filled at the MLS level and so you know we've got players that aren't getting chances that should be getting chances yeah hopefully the, this next round of expansion helps that but you know we'll, we'll have to see where it takes us from there 
And of course, these are some of the difficulties that arise when you didn't get this system started in the late 1800s or the early 1900s, <laughs> like all the big European leagues did. And you're kind of just making it up as you go. And of course, it's capitalism, so a bunch of different people are going to have different visions about how they want U.S. soccer to develop. I mean, look, everyone wants to be the German Soccer Federation or wants to have a pyramid like there is in England. But that stuff does not happen overnight. Um, no, it does not. Still. But it, it is. we are in a situation where there are going to be some big decisions coming up in the next month that are going to have a large impact on how the pyramid develops. So... I think it's important, especially since there's not too much going on Phoenix Rising-wise at this point, to kind of cover it, because yeah. I think that is the most pressing pressing issue at the lower levels of U.S. soccer right now. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Hope we didn't bore you guys too much. Um, if you guys have any questions or suggestions for our next pod, please let us know. We are hoping to do an MLS expansion roundtable with at least someone from another show. Uh, and again, we won't be on air again until December 11th is when our next podcast will release. So that's just how it's going to be. Both our lives are going to be pretty busy these next few weeks. So uh, we'll hope to have a lot of content for you then. Hopefully some good interviews. But until next time, this is Dominic Kearns and Jeff. Any final thoughts? Uh, only final thought is uh, it's great to see uh, Phoenix Rising is keeping its name out there, uh, you know, going going strong during the off season. Got the ticket drive going on the last couple of weeks. They've been at a couple of uh, 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 fair type events uh, around the valley. It's great to see that they're keeping their name out there even during the off season, keeping keeping uh, the contacts up. So it's great to see what they're doing uh, uh, off the field and, and keeping things going. So uh, great job by the front office staff once again uh, to keep to keep the name out there going on. All right. And so if you have any questions for Jeff or I, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Uh, you can also get to the Rising is One podcast at Rising Pod for any uh, questions or thoughts on all of this MLS expansion talk and the future of the NASL and all that good stuff that really just us nerds care about. But until next time, I think that's going to do it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day, everybody. And go rising. Uh,